0: This is The Guardian.
1: In the vast stretch of ocean between Africa and America, something strange is happening.
0: It sounds like science fiction. A 5,000 mile long belt of seaweed weighing more than 11 million tons is sloshing around in the Atlantic
1: Ocean. This giant algal blob is creeping its way across the Caribbean and towards the eastern US coast.
0: When some of it reaches Florida, it threatens to wreak havoc in the coastal waters and on the beaches.
1: And every year this seaweed, called sargassum, is growing bigger and coming earlier.
0: Scientists have been tracking massive accumulations since 2011, but this year's bloom could be the largest ever.
1: So what's making the sargassum bloom to record sizes? And what, if anything, can we do about it? From The Guardian, I'm Madeleine Finlay, and this is Science Weekly. Brian LaPointe, you're a research professor at Florida Atlantic University's Harbour Branch Oceanographic Institute. And one area you've done lots of work on is sargassum. So what is this stuff?
0: So sargassum is a floating brown seaweed. There are hundreds of species of sargassum that are attached to the bottom of the ocean in shallow coastal areas. But the two species that we're talking about today are the two floating species called sargassum fluitans and sargassum natans.
1: And tell me a bit more about where we might usually expect to find it under normal circumstances.
0: So sargassum was observed by Columbus and his sailors when he came to the New World in 1492. He sailed through the Sargasso Sea, which is the subtropical gyre in the North Atlantic Ocean, and they saw large patches of this floating sargassum. The name actually comes from the description of the Portuguese sailors. And so the name Sargasso Sea actually does come from the seaweed sargassum.
1: So there must be quite a lot of sargassum there. What kind of quantities do you normally find it in these areas, in these oceans?
0: Well, in the 1930s, Albert Parr, an oceanographer, he sailed through the Sargasso Sea collecting it with a net in quantifying it, and he estimated 7 to 10 million tons of sargassum in the Sargasso Sea region at that time.
1: I mean, that's an amazing amount. So it must be an ecosystem in of itself at that size. Could you tell me a bit more about the ecology of sargassum?
0: Well, I've been studying sargassum for over 40 years now, and it is indeed a unique feature of the North Atlantic Ocean. It has evolved over eons of time. It provides habitat to over 100 species of fishes and invertebrates, as well as endangered species like sea turtles. It is amazing to go under these rafts and see the biodiversity that's associated with them. In the early years of my studies in the 1980s, I think we recorded, I don't know, over a thousand fishes like jacks and fish that live in that sargassum and are prey items for other fish like mahi-mahi that come in and feed off this unique community. So it is something very special and honestly a, a very good thing for marine protein production you know, to feed the human population.
1: It sounds like when everything's going well, sargassum is a really important part of the ocean ecology. But now we're hearing that there's this giant mass heading towards the Caribbean, towards Florida and to Mexico. Just how big are we talking?
0: Well, we're talking big because everything changed around 2010. What we saw form in the tropical Atlantic Ocean, which is south of the Sargasso Sea, was a whole new source region for growth of sargassum where we had never seen it before. And this is what we refer to as the Great Atlantic Sargassum Belt. And it extends all the way from the west coast of Africa across the tropical Atlantic Ocean through the Caribbean and into the Gulf of Mexico. Now, if you think about it, Albert Parr, back in the 1930s, estimated 7 to 10 million tons in the Sargasso Sea area. This new belt, in 2018, we estimated that it contained about 22 million tons of sargassum. And when we get heavy winds out of the east and southeast, that is when we see this influx. In fact, we have seen that over this past month in Key West and southern Florida. We are already seeing a lot of sargassum coming ashore. Our big concern this year is because we have seen a record amount of sargassum in March more than we have ever seen this tends to peak in the summer in june or july so we have months yet ahead of us we think this could be a record year
1: it sounds like the start of a kind of cheesy 80s horror film you know this huge mound of seaweed heading inland what kinds of problems does this pose
0: well It seems to be having issues both offshore and onshore. For example, the mahi-mahi fishery in Barbados and flying fish, which is a significant fishery in Barbados, both of those have declined very significantly with the development of the Great Atlantic Sargassum Belt. But really the biggest problems are when these... Massive amounts of sargassum come into coastal waters and chokes those waters. It basically sucks the oxygen out of the water, creating dead zones. It's having negative impacts on seagrasses and coral reefs. And as this massive amount of sargassum comes ashore, it rots, discolors the water a kind of a muddy brown color and it releases toxic hydrogen sulfide gas.
1: So, Brian, you've been studying this for a long time, and this belt of sargassum is growing, but do we know why?
0: Well, my early research in the 1980s really sought to address that very question because it was a paradox to early oceanographers how all this sargassum could grow in the Sargasso Sea. This region was coined as a biological desert because of the very low nutrient concentrations. So the question is, where are the nutrients to support the growth? We sailed through the Sargasso Sea, up and down the Gulf Stream off the east coast of the United States, In and around the Gulf of Mexico and the Caribbean Sea collecting sargassum and measuring its photosynthetic rate and growth rate and also its tissue contents of carbon, nitrogen, and phosphorus. We found that a lot of the growth and high productivity of sargassum is actually in coastal areas where these plants basically become nutrient-enriched by runoff from land, such as the major rivers. The Mississippi River, for example, in the Gulf of Mexico, carries a lot of nitrogen and phosphorus down into the Gulf where it can enrich sargassum and support greater growth in biomass.
1: So runoff from the land... With nitrogen and phosphorus, that makes me think of fertilizers and waste from potentially agriculture going into the seas. And then this is feeding the sargassum that allows it to grow to these kind of humongous sizes.
0: That's right. Just since 1985, we have used 85% of the fertilizer production that has occurred in the past century or so. So, really, if you think of that, 1985, that's about the time I did my baseline studies with sargassum. Fast forward, beginning in 2010, I began repeating those measurements of carbon, nitrogen, and phosphorus to compare with my baseline from the 1980s. We found that the nitrogen content of sargassum had gone up by 35%.
1: Is the climate crisis playing any role in this?
0: Right now, we think that one way that the climate is affecting sargassum is through more tropical storms, hurricanes, and these extreme rain events that we are seeing. For example, over the past decade, we've seen extreme flooding in the Amazon Basin, that has brought a lot more water and nutrients out into the western tropical Atlantic Ocean, where it can be assimilated by sargassum in this great Atlantic Sargassum Belt. In fact, the models are indicating that even without any more human activities adding more nitrogen, just the extreme rainfall expected in the future will increase nitrogen loading to the oceans by 20 percent
1: and so when the sargassum reaches the coastline the thing to do is to clear it away but i wonder how much of a challenge this is when there's so much sargassum reaching the beaches
0: Uh, there are methods such as putting booms along the beaches to hold it off the beach And then have boats with like conveyor belts that harvest it into a holding boat, from which point it can either be taken to land for disposal or taken offshore to sink it to the deep sea, where then it not only prevents it from coming on at the beach, but also is a help in chipping away at CO2 buildup in the atmosphere by sending that sargassum deep into the ocean, where it will not come up and release CO2. But it's pretty much impossible. I mean, this has been going on for over 10 years now. And, you know, we still have not managed to develop a solution to deal with massive amounts of sargassum.
1: And for the sargassum that's collected on land, can anything be done with it? Can it be used for anything?
0: Well, I can tell you there are all kinds of efforts underway to look at repurposing this sargassum, including to do away with single-use plastics and instead make these substitutes out of sargassum. That's one emerging technology. The fertilizer business, of course, is something that's being looked at by many people, uh, composting it and using it. But You have to be aware of the fact that it does have a significant amount of arsenic in it, and that really needs to be monitored if this sargassum is to be used as a fertilizer for human consumption.
1: So what would you like to see happen now to prevent some of the issues we've been talking about, or at least potentially to stop the sargassum from growing? too much bigger.
0: I think we need more research to really allow us to get a better understanding of the nutrient drivers. For example, we don't know enough about what's going on in the eastern tropical Atlantic. So you've got the Congo River, you've got activities on land, biomass burning, Saharan dust. You've got all these things going on there, that are making that area, we believe, a source region for the Great Atlantic Sargassum Belt. We don't know enough about that. We don't know enough, really, about the Amazon contributions or how climate change might be affecting vertical mixing of natural nutrients from the deep ocean. So there are all these questions that we have as scientists that are going to take more research to ultimately allow us to identify these drivers so that perhaps we can begin to reduce the amounts of nutrients that are ultimately feeding the Great Atlantic Sargassum Belt.
1: Brian, it's been utterly fascinating. Thank you so much.
0: You're welcome. Thank you for having me today.
1: Thanks again to Professor Brian Lapointe. Now, if you want to hear more fascinating stories from around the world, delivered right to your inbox, then you should sign up to The Guardian's Documentaries newsletter. It's free, and you'll discover the latest thought-provoking Guardian documentaries and get a behind-the-scenes glimpse into award-winning films. You can sign up today at theguardian.com forward slash documentaries newsletter. And we put a link to that on the podcast webpage at theguardian.com. And that's it for today. The producers were me, Madeline Finley, and Ned Carter Miles. The sound design was by Tony Onochuku. And the executive producer was Danielle Stevens. We'll be back on Tuesday. See you then.